Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking at Bigfoot and missing people. That's correct, Bigfoot and missing people. But before we get directly into that, I just want to bring up the whole uh, situation with the Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp video with those uh, lights, I guess we could say, that were uh, recorded over 29 Palms, uh, the uh, Camp Wilson uh, military base out there, reportedly back in 2021. Now, why this stuff just came out two years later is beyond me. There's been a lot of talk about this uh, on Twitter, and I feel that, you know, in order to bring the full truth as I am able to discern it, it you know, to give all the information, I guess we should say, uh, I should report that there's been uh, both uh, uh, Mick West, which I know a lot of people don't like just because of his attitude, and uh, John Greenwald have really, I don't know, maybe debunk would be kind of a harsh word, but have analyzed the video. And I have to say, I think they've done uh, good work on this. Somehow it looks like uh, maybe both of them, but for sure Wes got a hold of a, the full version of that um, video and then timestamped. And you can clearly see that these are flares uh, coming down, you know, kind of in the same uh, general pattern as a fall. The, what looked like from the still image that could be a, a large ship really was just the smoke and stuff off of the flares. Now, a little disappointed to point this out, but I also think it bears, you know, uh, saying that how Corbell and and uh, Knapp have acted in this situation after people questioned it, I think was really not good, especially with Knapp criticizing uh, Greenwald today on Twitter, or maybe it was yesterday, saying that he's going to his mommy at the Pentagon. Uh, when Greenwald said he was looking for, you know, any files related to this incident from the Pentagon. And that's not how we should conduct ourselves. If someone's doing an investigation, that's fine. If something's true, if it's the truth, it, it will survive scrutiny. Now, things might be a little rough, you know, in between. But overall, given a fair shake, if everything is presented... I should say it will preside, it will uh, survive scrutiny. And this isn't like a situation where someone's been falsely accused of some terrible crime. Now, I think that Corbell could have done a lot better job if he would have just released the entire video uh, to begin with to the public. And maybe, if he did, I'm not aware of it, to where you could actually see the video, the video as these flares come down, as opposed to making it seem like they were just, you know, stationary there uh, the whole time. It would all so would have been, uh, I think, much more professional out of him if he would have encouraged uh, those 50 people who reportedly saw this to come forward and just give their side of the story. So that's pretty much all I want to say about that. Just so that, just to be in full disclosure, it, what looks like a lot of us, and I and I really thought it looked like a UFO. When you see the full video in context and you can see the timestamps on it and the background because this, this mountain range uh, provides a. Or, provides a clear background, then it's it's obvious that these are a, a group of flares coming down. Now, I believe that if this video would have been released right after it happened, instead of somebody holding on to it for a couple of years, and we were able to speak to the eyewitnesses that were there on the ground, and we had that video to examine, uh, you know, uninhibited, that this could have been solved in five minutes. But I'm very disappointed to see the way that was handled you can't take this stuff and just turn it into clickbait like this and expect the UFO 
uh, phenomenon to have any kind of respect. Now, secondly, kind of along the same lines, there's another case that happened out in Las Vegas, I believe back on the, the first part of May, May 1st or something. And now it, uh, at least one witness, maybe two, I haven't seen the pictures yet. I've heard I've heard the guy interviewed on the podcast. Supposedly, these people saw a UFO land in the backyard and left this circular impression on the ground. They called the police, and the police were like, yeah, whatever. Look, when you're taking these incidents, and, you know, the guy, the, the guy, the podcaster, I can't, even, I can't even remember his name, but apparently he got exclusive photos, exclusive interviews. Look, it, it shouldn't be – It's this stuff shouldn't be exclusive because when it's exclusive, you're allowing one person to profit off it, whether it's George and Jeremy or some, you know, random podcaster or Tom DeLong and company getting a hold of videos before anybody else does. And then you're allowing them to monetize that content, that data, and, and make money off it, which is fine, except for the fact that in the process of doing that, you preclude anybody else from doing an honest investigation. And so what you end up with is this network of UFO celebrities who want to hold on to every little bit of thing that comes their way. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, the Logan guy who's supposedly got the video from somebody down in New Mexico or what. It's the opposite of crowdsorting stuff. It's the opposite of posting stuff publicly where everybody can examine it. You, if you're in the if you're in the podcast business or in the entertainment business or whatever, just like this podcast, you're more than welcome to make commentary on it and talk about it and discuss it and monetize your own talent that way without preventing other people from examining the evidence. Now, I, I'm on my soapbox long enough. That's enough set of the subject. I want to move on to this really interesting topic. Bigfoots. So getting back to the subject of Bigfoot, I found this article here in the New York Post. It's is from July 4th, 2020. I think it's still pertinent today. It says, Why Hundreds of People Vanish into the American Wilderness by Erica Spitzengal. It says, In April 2017, Jacob Gray rode his bicycle during a rainstorm into Washington State's Olympic National Park and vanished. The 22-year-old's bike and camping gear were discovered near the Sol Duck River but otherwise there was no trace of him. Several months of search and rescue missions uncovered nothing. The mystery caught the attention of journalist John Billman, who has been investigating missing persons in wild places since the late 1990s. As he writes in The Cold Vanish, seeking the missing of North America's wildlands out Tuesday, of course this has been a couple years ago, most disappearances are easy to explain. Hypothermia, falls, avalanche, eaten by a mountain lion, etc. But Billman has long been fascinated by cases that defy conventional logic. The proverbial vanish without a trace incidents, which happen a lot more and a lot closer to your backyard than almost anyone thinks. According to NAM Us, National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, more than 600,000 persons go missing in the United States every year. Anywhere between 89% and 92% of those missing people are recovered every year, either alive or deceased. So that still leaves you, what, over 60,000 people vanished. But how many of those disappear in the wild is unclear. Neither the Department of the Interior, which oversees the National Park Service, or the Department of Agriculture, U.S. Force Service keeps track. Does that fall under the category of don't know, don't care? Think about that. Neither the Department of the Interior, which oversees the National Park Service, or the Department of Agriculture's U.S. Force Service keeps track. 
Strangely, the most reliable info on missing people in the wild comes from Bigfoot hunters. In 2011, David Polites, founder of the North American Big Search Search, Bigfoot Search launched a database of wildland disappearances that occurred under mysterious circumstances. From his research, there are at least 1,600 people, give or take, currently missing in the wild somewhere in the United States. Wow. Well, I guess you could say last seen in the wild. Most people, according to this data, disappear in the late afternoon and during or just before severe weather. Bodies are often found in previously searched areas and often without clothing or footwear. Even when hypothermia has been ruled out, it says during the last stages of hypothermia, people often feel hot and remove their clothing. Children are sometimes found at improbably far distances from where they went missing. Yeah, Pilates has some cases on this. It's just remarkable. You know, finding little kids on the other side of a mountain or something. Just, it's just crazy. The biggest obstacles to getting any information about missing people in the wild, according to Pilates, is the National Park Service red tape. Well, red tape is a convenient excuse. Obviously, they're hiding something. Yes, it could be because they're just too lazy. And, you know, anybody's had experience with the National Park Service much could probably tell you how lazy government employees can be. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not saying they're all that way, but boy, a lot of them are. He speculates that the Park Service conceals the true data on how and where people disappear and how many have actually been found because it would shock the public so badly that visitors' numbers would fall off a cliff, Billman writes. Well, it could be. It could be that they're just too lazy to keep track of it. It could be that they're in collusion with somebody that's doing this. We don't know because they won't tell us. But you know, the funny thing is, no matter what president we have, no matter what party he belongs to, these guys are never held to accountability. I don't think there's a grand conspiracy to keep the numbers hidden, he says. Oh, I do. I absolutely think there's a grand conspiracy. Absolutely, 100% believe there's a grand conspiracy to keep this stuff hidden because it would just be too easy to not hide it. But the National Park Service certainly doesn't advertise that there are dozens of still missing visitors in Grand Canyon or Yosemite, and a county sheriff isn't going to put a missing person on his re-election poster. Yeah, that's probably too true. And oftentimes, if you know anybody that's had a loved one go missing, some agencies will act pretty good, you know, sometimes though they just don't care. And I, I think a lot of that is just pure laziness. The odds of locating Jacob Gray were, were beyond finding a needle in a haystack, Chief Ranger Shields told Billman. Why couldn't you bring in a dog? See, see what they do? The very first thing they do is start making excuses for themselves. They could just say, well, we were too lazy to walk out there in the timber and look for this guy. We thought we might get bit by a wood tick. It's so much easier to sit around in our offices and do nothing all day or to take government paid for trips to meetings that are, that are useless. Could have just said that. But the National Park Service certainly doesn't advertise that there are dozens, he says, blah, blah, blah. The odds of relocating Jacob Gray were beyond finding a needle in a haystack, Chief Ranger Jay Shields told Billman. Despite a several-month coordinated effort by hundreds of park rangers, local police, and volunteers, they had no trace of them. I find it hard to believe that this went on at that level of intensity for several months. Usually, if you've ever watched one of these on television, usually what you see is you know, there'll be a big show the first couple days, okay? Uh, who knows what? They, they, when they trample all the evidence, basically. Uh, usually, they never bring in a bloodhound. And I don't know why, because I used to know years ago a guy who had bloodhounds, and I said, why don't they bring in bloodhounds to find these people? He said, I don't know. 
He said, we're available, but maybe just too lazy, maybe too incompetent. But Randy Gray, Jacob's father, wasn't about to give up so easily. A 63-year-old house builder from Santa Cruz, California, he went to he went on to liquidate his world in order to find his son, writes Billman. He sold his house and shuttered his successful contracting business, loading up an Arctic Fox sliding camper with food and gear. Randy invited the author to join him as he set out for Washington. I have to, my heart just goes out to this guy. I just cannot imagine the trauma that these families go through. It has to be hell on earth. National parks like Yosemite operate almost as sovereign states. There you go. No accountability. When somebody goes missing in the territory, they're not inclined to seek help from outside government agencies. No, they're more likely to impede other people. Why? Because we couldn't have a bunch of people walking around here seeing how little we do all day. It could be like the U.S. asking Mexico for COVID-19 ventilators, Billman says. There's a there's pride at stake, egos, not to mention budgets. A virus is as invisible as a missing person. Isn't it, not a, isn't it awesome how he uh, wove in this story about the scamdemic? Now we know that uh, hundreds of thousands of people were probably killed because they put them on ventilators and turned the ventilators on high. And then, of course, collected the $200,000 checks. But it's, it's, it's nice that the author brings up uh, this and compares, compares the crime that was committed upon us by this government and compares uh, how terrible it was they couldn't get more ventilators so they could kill more people. He compares that to the Park Service not wanting to ask, help, ask for help looking for missing people. Well, do you see the commonality here? Both stories involve dead people. Wow, a search and rescue effort doesn't always make a difference. In 2017, more excuse making, a middle-aged woman named Cara Moore disappeared in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan's Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. Look, I've been to the UP. It is, you know, a wilderness area, but for crying out loud, it's not like it's Yellowstone or something. Almost immediately, dozens of searchers with canines covered 73,000 acres and found nothing, only to have Moore wander home a week later on her own. Hmm, that's very interesting. Uh, details, please? Nope, no, 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 no details here. A similar search made no difference for Joe Keller, a 19-year-old who went for a run in the San Juan Mountains of southwestern Colorado in 2015 and never returned. The search was called off after 13 days. We even collected bear crap, said social, said Sheriff Howard Galvez. We still have it in an evidence freezer. Keller remains an unsolved disappearance. Well, if you've got the bear, the bear crap in the freezer, why don't you test it for human DNA? But do you see the two straw man arguments that the author put up here? Two missing people. One, you know, inexplicably showed back to home a week later after we spent a week looking for her. And the other guy, he's still gone. So, you know, sometimes when even when you look, it doesn't do any good. Yes, sometimes having to get up off your butt and do your job still doesn't still doesn't result in recovering the person. So let's just sit here behind the desk and collect a big fat check from Uncle Sam. Nothing about Jacob's disappearance such a foul play. His bike wasn't damaged, the tires weren't flat, and there was no evidence he'd been in an accident or purposely hit. Randy claimed that his son, a lifelong surfer, was ionized by water and never wore a wetsuit, even in the coldest temperatures. At five foot eleven and 145 pounds, he was in excellent shape and was even planning a cross-country trip by bicycle from California to Vermont to see his brother. Pretty athletic guy. But just leaves his bike there and disappears into thin air. But since his parents divorced four years earlier, Jacob had shown signs of depression. Here you go. And his family speculated possibly schizophrenia. 
That could be tough. It concerned Randy and his ex-wife Laura enough that they sent him to Bellevue, Washington to live near family, attend community college, and look for a job. He quickly dropped out of school, worked at a nursing job and climbing gym, and was always on his bicycle exploring the mountain trails at every opportunity. The park seemed convinced Jacob had either drowned in the river or had hitchhiked out of the area. Any resources would have been a waste of money and manpower. Oh, my goodness. So finding your kid... In their opinion, is a waste of money and manpower. Meanwhile, they sit in their fat, you know what, and draw in checks of a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year. And if you've ever seen what these guys in the government do, okay, on an average forty-hour week, you think that the former employees of Twitter did nothing? My gosh! But this kid, he's a waste of money finding somebody's kid. This is a service that you get. And so when people come to me and say, oh, the government's going to give us disclosure on UFOs. Are you freaking kidding me? I don't care about you. They would use the knowledge of UFOs or any other kind of paranormal thing to empower themselves. Because if they're not too corrupt to keep it from you, they're too lazy. It says, disembodied human feet, many of them still in shoes, wash up on the shores of Washington State and British Columbia with alarming regulation. This has got nothing to do with that. Most of these guys have fallen off cargo ships and stuff. Some come in Paris, some don't, Billman writes. For Randy, every time we learned of a beachcomber finding a dismembered foot inside a balanced shoe, his son's brand of choice, it was another catalyst for another bad dream. Did they even bother to DNA test those, those shoes? I wonder. And yet, Randy followed every lead, no matter how disturbing. Whether it was a psychic named Lauren, waste of time, who insisted that Jacob had been abducted or an eerie clue that was puzzling to the strangers of four arrows stuck in meticulously placed line on the ground. Jacob's abandoned camp. Randy took everything seriously. This poor man. Jacob could have ended up in jail. Mark Curry, who runs his church and recovery nonprofit in Houston, Texas, told the author, you wouldn't believe how many missing persons they find in jail. Look, most of these jails at least the prison systems, DNA test immediately. I don't know about the jails. This is easily solvable if that's the case. Or he could have joined a cult. Oh, my goodness. Randy learned that 12 tribes, a cult founded in Tennessee during the 1970s, had been recruiting new members along the Pacific Coast Crest Trail. So he just dropped his bike off there and leaves it. So he traveled to Vancouver, Canada, their home base in the Pacific Northwest, to meet with members and ask questions. But it was another dead end. That kind of reminds me of the satanic cow tipping call. You know, the one responsible for all of the um, cattle mutilations. Not. Eventually, Randy was led to a team of Bigfoot researchers called Olympic Project, one of the most renowned Sasquatch investigative organizations in the world. Founded in 2008 by a deputy sheriff. That's, wow. Convinced that there was that there were Sasquatch in the woods around him. The group had long taken a scientific approach to t- tracking Bigfoot focusing on fossil records and DNA evidence. In response to Jacob's disappearance, they created the Olympic Mountain Response Team, an offshoot devoted to responding to missing persons in the mountains. They welcomed Randy and and Billman to stay at the Bigfoot Barn, a facility filled with supplies, maps, and a library of Sasquatch information. It's also the closest private property to where Jacob's bike was found, allowing Randy to live where his son vanished, Billman writes. But more than a place to sleep and eat, the hunters offered their expertise and intimate knowledge of the region. These mountain-savvy Bigfoot researchers were smart, fit men and women who took a scientific approach to the fossil record, Billman says. They volunteered hundreds of hours and hiked hundreds of miles searching for Jacob in the Olympic forest. Uh, 
Over four straight months, Randy researched the wilderness for 12 to 14 hour days. No one involved in the group tried to convince Randy that his son's disappearance was connected to a Sasquatch. But many in the group do think Bigfoot has played a role in missing person cases. Tanya Barbara Barba, a longtime Bigfoot hunter and Olympic Project member, told Billman she believes Bigfoot is involved in many missing toddler events. In January 2019, a three-year-old boy named Casey Hathaway, you might remember this case, I do, disappeared near his great-grandfather's home in rural North Carolina. Temperatures dropped below freezing and rain blew sideways. Three days later, the boy was found alive and tangled in briars a quarter of a mile from where he went missing. How does a child travel 4,000 feet in elevation in his bare feet in two days, Barbara asked. She is 100% certain that Casey and other children are picked up by Bigfoot. Randy entertained the idea. I could see Jacob being adopted by a family of Bigfoot, Randy told the author, hanging with him, you know, which would be good. Losing a family member to the unknown is one of the worst psychological traumas a human can endure, says Pauline Boss, a researcher and family therapist. She, she coined the term frozen grief for this mental anguish. The, nation's insti the National Institute of Justice, the research arm of the Department of Justice, calls it the nation's silent mass disaster. And what are they doing about it? Nothing. In the majority of states, a person isn't classified as legally dead until they've been missing for seven years. At that point, Billman writes, they're declared dead unless there's evidence otherwise. They're dead in absentia, which for many survivors is even worse than finding a body. You know, the weird thing about this is, if it's so easy to disappear, then why is it so hard for these guys that commit criminals, that commit criminal acts, to stay out of law enforcement's grasp? That's what I would wonder. Marcel Leggett, the brother of a bicyclist who went missing in November in Nova Scotia in 2014, says he's still haunted by not knowing how or if his brother died or suffered. I keep telling myself it would be easier if it was a heart attack or a car accident. At least we could be angry at something, he said. I might have to. It might have been a quick ending, but the thought of him being really hurt and yelling for help will stay with me for a while. Yeah, that's got to be terrible. He and his family will likely never know what happened, so there's no way to make your peace with the loss. Closure isn't an option, Luggett says. It took 18 months, but Randy finally. But it took 18 months, but Randy finally had closure. On August 20th, 2018, a team of biologists who ventured into the mountains to study marmots stumbled across Jacob's clothing in a remote area of Olympic National Park. Rangers searched the area and found his skeletal remains. 5,300 feet above sea level and 15 miles from where Jacob left his side. While the body of his son, while the body was soon identified, it remains a mystery what happened to Jacob. The coroner called the official cause of death inconclusive. His boots were found wrapped in trash bags with Jacob's brother, Micah, wondered might be a sign of suicide. People do crazy things before they commit suicide, he said. Days after the remains were found, Randy Micah and Billman hiked up to the spot where Jacob perished just to see what had happened. They stumbled upon two human bones, one of them a finger bone, that they believed belonged to Jacob. Oh, my. Rather than bringing it to authorities, they had a burial on the mountain fashioning a cross of tree limbs tied together with a parachute cord. Randy may not have been responsible for frightening the sun, but he was on the right track with one detail. Most people lost in the mountains tend to go down, Billman writes, but Randy insisted Jacob would have gone up. He he couldn't explain why. It was just a gut feeling. And in the end, he was right. Sometimes even the best statistics and search and rescue data can't compete with the parents' instincts. Well, what a terribly sad story. 
this whole thing about how these people travel these great distances before they're found and the reaction by the federal government and the National Park Service, it, it's really, it's just awful how these people are treated. And it's just awful to, to see how little they care about the people that use these parks. So if you go into the National Parks this year, by all means, don't go alone, don't go alone and be careful. I mean, be really careful. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out. Thank you.